Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly, or no, it's not weekly anymore, Keyforge is on hiatus, it's fortnightly, celebration of all things Keyforge, its wonderful community, and of course, the excitement of Discovery. I am still somehow here as your co-host two and a half years later, and I am joined, as always, by the Archon across the sea, Zach Armstrong. How are you doing, sir? Oh, am I being am I being knighted? Is it finally happening? You're an Archon, <laughs> and I'm British. Therefore, if you heard my voice, I can knight anyone I want. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, well, uh, Sir Zach the Archon doth very well over here. Thank you, sir. Yeah, well, that's that's fantastic. I'm sorry, I don't speak whatever language you were aiming for there, Zach. But and uh, we are joined today by Simon Simon Finchley. Good to meet you, Simon. How are you doing? I am great. I, you know, I'm just having a blast because I'm a fan of the podcast, and so to like hear your voices and to talk to you is just such a treat. So I am just on cloud nine over here. This is a blast. Well, I'm very much glad you like the podcast. We're yet to have someone on here that says. Do you know what? Actually, I don't like the podcast, but I just thought I'd come on anyway. <laughs> just thought I'd show up. Um, and to that person, I, I tip my cap and say, touche. So the reason we've got Simon on today is Simon is an author in the wonderful genre of science fantasy. And listener, if you're saying, what? Science fantasy? This is a Keyforge podcast. Then let me tell you, listener, Keyforge is so science fantasy that it it's just it's just amazing. It's it's science, it's fantasy, and Simon's going to be able to say that a lot better than I am as as we dive into the topic here. It's just combining science fiction elements with fantasy elements, uh, combining all of that with Amber, and then, of course, there's a game on top of it. So we're going to talk about uh, how all that works and actually why it works. As I've stated before on the podcast, when I first saw the world of The Crucible, I said, well, that's completely crazy, and I guess just there so they can make a game on top of it. But the more I spend time in it, the more I kind of adore it, and it really does work in a cohesive fashion. Uh, but before that, Ed, uh, I think we like to like to talk about uh, our host as a pe- people person, don't we? Uh, a people person? <laughs> we have people people on? Gosh. I'm, I am absolutely a people person, whatever that is. Oh, yeah. I forgot to ask if you were Svar or giant or tree. <laughs> <laughs> no. Human. 100% human. Definitely. All right. All right. Ah, that's what you say, at least. Uh, we we, we yes. can't necessarily believe you, but... Um... <laughs> yeah, watch out for those sacrificial altars and quickly plague masters. Those will get yes. you. Mm. 
Well, as long as you're not a Martian, that's absolutely fine by me. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Simon, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you discover Keyforge? Well, I've always been a fan of um, board games and tabletop games. I've collected them for years and years. Um, And I think the first collectible game that I ever played was the Star Wars CCG from the Decipher late 90s, early Mm. 2000s. Um, which in retrospect was probably a poor introduction to collectible card games because it is very complicated. Um, <laughs> but I like, I love, Star- I mean, I was like 11 or 12 and I love Star Wars and there was this game and it had cards. And um, I just love the idea of like all, you know, this, the possibilities of all these cards interacting um, was, was something that really enticed me into it. And then uh, you know, years later, I'm playing like Hearthstone and one of the digital implementations of Magic, and I'm playing another digital card game called Eternal. And these are the games that really like I sunk into the you know the collectible aspect of of these games. Um, and but what I what I came up against was, you know, for all of these possibilities for all of these cards, you know, the general consensus was there was only a handful of decks that were viable right in the meta right you know you've got to play one of these you know three or four or five decks um to be competitive and even if you didn't want to play those decks those were the only decks you were going to see right um because that's all anybody else played and so that was kind of that was kind of disappointing you know to have all this possibility but then it all get whittled down into this very um you know restrained experience um so when i first heard about keyforge and I think this was like summer 2018. So like six months before it even released, mm-hmm. I heard about Keyforge, you know, this game designed by Richard Garfield with, you know, generated decks that you can't modify. I immediately understood what that meant. Right. It's like, Oh, like you have to just deal with these cards. Right. And nobody's going to be able to craft the perfect deck. And no matter who you play against, it's going to be this totally unique experience. And so I I pre-ordered the uh, starter set based on just based on the strength of that announcement. <laughs> I was like, all right, I will I will try it, um, and and then we'll see if it's actually fun to play. Because you know my gimmick meter kind of went off a little bit. I was like, well, sure. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm enticed by your by your thing, but th- how does it play? Is always my question. You know, is it actually fun? You know, and I get the starter set and I play it and, you know, there's a learning curve, but eventually I start to catch on and, oh boy, is it fun. (laughs) It is a blast. I think I went to, uh, I went to like a release event, uh, you know, for the very first set. There were so many people there. It was probably the, it it was massive. I, I lost, I think I lost every single game and I still had a blast. Uh, and that was, that was what hooked me was like, I, if I'm having this much fun losing, like, this is the game for me. Because I'll probably lose a lot. <laughs> so. That's a really good sign, isn't it? When you lose, but you still enjoy it. And uh, there are times in Keyforge where that's not true. But most of the time, <laughs> that is true. Yeah, indeed. And you've, you've come to the right podcast if you if you lost a bunch and still loved the game. That's, uh, yeah, <laughs> the right podcast. What do you mean, Zach? We're all really competitive here. I'm known in the community for my aggressive, competitive nature and my many, many Voltor wins. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, your our our solid three three vault tour color discovery uh, record. <laughs> yeah, if you want to win, go listen to Wookie and the KFPL guys on uh, on Archon's Corner now. That's that's where to go for that. That's where to go for that. That's great to hear about uh, getting into the game, uh, Simon. That's uh, I, I think how a lot of us did that announcement. I certainly had to read it a bunch of times before I had any idea what the heck they were trying to tell me mm. in this blog post. And uh, so I know from a blog you've put up that when you when you saw the the art on the aforementioned uh, starter set that you pre-ordered, you went, "Oh, this is this is science fantasy." Yes. So could you could you tell us just in in like a nutshell? What what is science fantasy itself, and what told you that Keyforge was science fantasy? So science fantasy, or at least how the term is used now, means any work of media that uses tropes from both science fiction and fantasy. Now the term itself it goes back to the very very early days of science fiction when it was used to differentiate what was called hard science fiction. You know, science fiction that is using the science of the day and extrapolating forward um, versus things like um, what might be called planetary romance, uh, things like John Carter of Mars or Flash Gordon. These things were called science fantasy in a sort of a derogatory way to say, oh, that's not real science fiction. You know, that's um, that's lesser than somehow. The term has been making a resurgence and uh, I think being embraced a lot in this new way in thinking about the mixture of these two tent poles of speculative fiction uh, coming together and making something totally new. So, as you said, when I saw when I saw the artwork, uh, I was the first thing you notice. There's a lot going on, right? It's a very diverse world. Um, you can see there's all sorts of different kinds of creatures of different sizes. You see that the, it's a really bright and fun and fantastical world. And then you start to, see, and then there's robots, and then there's these mechanical arms and there's all these, these other things that you don't quite know what they are, but then there's also this like spirit angel thing. Um, and just from those elements alone, you could say, wow, this, this is science fantasy. This is a mashup world. This is something that's really exciting. I, I had the same reaction when I saw what I saw the, the box art with the mix of, of mixing, a lot of known tropes, but but turning them, you know, just fifteen degrees to the right or the left, to to make them different, and and yeah, uh, I think it just works for works for Keyforge, especially keeping the fiction open for them to do whatever they want to with uh, in the future. Absolutely, I mean that's sort of the that's the big advantage, right? It's very hard to think of something that they could introduce into the Crucible that would feel out of place, right? They have a lot of territory that and flexibility with that um having said that you know there might be some like tonal things that they could misstep on it is a you know it's a bright world it's a fun world it's a wacky world and i think if they went too like dark that would start to feel a little strange but other than that they've got a lot of playing space that they can expand into which is also super exciting I think when I first discovered the Keyforge theme, it was almost too whimsical for me and I felt mm. a bit jarred by it. But now I embrace it. And maybe it's because the world around us has got a little bit darker <laughs> in the last few years and we kind of need it as an escape. But it it is it is pretty special and pretty unique. Um, mm. and I, you know, Zach mentioned the cyber cyberpunk implants in Brobnar. I think there's a myriad of different things that you could pick out 
uh, you know, Roman dinosaurs, for instance. <laughs> where, 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 where the hell did that come from? It's amazing. Um, you know, it's just Keyforges is unique in in so many so many levels and and on that one simon what what's your most memorable experience playing keyforge maybe it was the time that the game really clicked for you oh my goodness um i was playing i think it was just like a regular chain bound and and i had a a deck and i had it had dis and mars sorry ed and uh <laughs> and i had a snudge on the table and I had the brainstem antenna from Mars, which says uh, after you play a Mars creature, ready this creature and treat it as if it belongs to Mars. And so I put the brainstem antenna. I don't, I don't know why I, I there was some sort of circumstance cause I had never done this before, but I put the brainstem antenna on the snudge and then I played a Mars creature from my hand, which readied the snudge and snudge is says, you know, reap, uh, you can return a flank creature to its owner's hand. And so I reap with the snudge and then I'm like, wait, I can send that Mars creature back to my hand and then I can play it again. And that'll ready the snudge. <laughs> and I can do that six times. And I hit the rule of six, just like in casual play, just for something that I had not seen yet before. And that, that was the moment where I was like, there's just, you know, I had been playing with this deck for a while and there was still these new things and this amazing combo that I had never seen before. And it just, it just leads you to wonder like, what else is there? What else, you know, how much more can I, can I get out of this deck? I, I remember that moment so, so specifically um, with that, with that combo. That was a lot of fun. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And what a, yeah, what a fun combo to discover, right? That, that is the moment of the jungle, right? To use absolutely Richard, Richard Garfield's analogy, that wasn't an amusement park where a designer in a back room at some point had said, okay. Uh, and then after a couple of plays, they'll see this synergy between brainstem antenna and snudge. Honestly, when they made brainstem antenna, they, I'm sure they didn't go through every creature and say, you know, uh, here's how it'll work with every creature. They just said, well, we've got the rule of six, so we'll be okay. <laughs> right. Uh, and while you were talking about that, I got so excited. And I have discovered that as of recording, there are 11 decks on Decks of Keyforge for sale with Brainstem Antenna and Ooh. Snudge. Ooh. Uh, well, and the, the highest rated one by SAS is only $22. <laughs> hey, that's not too bad. And then on top of that, that deck that I have has um, two... Um, crystal hives. So if you can, if you can hit that with two of your crystal hives activated, that's, that's 18 Amber right there. It's, it's totally nuts. It's one of those like, well, if, 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 and it never happens, but it could, it could happen. Right, right. You just need to get somebody to leave a snudge alive for a turn, which people are getting wiser and wiser to these days. (laughs) You can't snudge them out of that one then. Uh, I'm only laughing because I'm confused. (laughs) It's like, oh, that's (laughs) funny. Wait, what what does he mean? (laughs) I think he's snudging us, Simon. (laughs) Oh, okay. Mm. (laughs) Try getting a brainstem antennae out and it might might show you the... uh, the, It might help you understand. Did you you just accuse me of being Martian, Ed? (gasps) But I don't like Martians. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Only now do you find out. That Zach oh, is no. a Martian. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've had I've had a I've had a filter on every time we've actually met via via video to to phase out my green skin. Well, Martians make bad podcast hosts, right? <laughs> yep, that's the card. That's the card. <laughs> oh. And Zach Amazing. is known for his generosity. <laughs> oh wow. Wow. I can do oh this all gosh. day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's oh, not. Geez. Yeah. So so we so woof, uh, let's 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 save ourselves from Ed here. What uh so we've talked about what, what science science fantasy is, right, and kind of what, what are the basic traits of Keyforge are that fit within this very cool uh this very cool kind of genre, this combination that that takes from from multiple traditions, bringing it into one, into one new thing. So, Simon, as both a uh, a science fantasy author yourself and a player of Keyforge, uh, and whether it's gameplay or in the fiction, what does Keyforge being inside of science fantasy allow the creators and writers of the game to do that maybe other games uh, might not accomplish? Right, um, that's a great question. Um, I think when I first when I first started playing the game and getting to know the, the different factions and stuff, it was really clear to me <laughs> that this was a game that had been designed first. And then they were putting a world on top of it to fit uh, the game. Right. Yes. Like yep. it seemed yep. pretty clear that at least from what we had available at the time in terms of lore, which was just the couple pages in the rule book from the, from the, um, for the factions, um, it was like this is this is a pretty thin justification <laughs> for what's <laughs> for what's going on. Uh-huh. Um, but it, but you're there's something about it that grows on you. I think that you've that you've talked about Ed, right, uh, or Zach, um, where it's it's so bright and charming um, that it, it sort of doesn't matter, right. Um, this idea that there's all of these different factions in the same place. Okay, so how do how are we going to justify that? Well, it's uh, you know they just show up in this on this immense world. Okay, well how do we make sure that there's always going to be room for more? Well, it's massive, right? And mm-hmm. when can how do new things show up? Well, they just show up sometimes, right? Out of no <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, okay, great, uh, <laughs> right. But then, when then you think about that, and then they're all in this place, and they're all mixing together, you know, it it all these possibilities open up, right? Um, and I think Star Alliance is such a great example of this. There's it this idea that they've crash landed, they have this organization, they have this structure that now has to adapt to this infinite world, right? And what does that mean, you know? And they start mm. recruiting people into their organizations, and we see that on the cards, right? We see elves being recruited into the star alliance and spirits and aquans and um i feel like that really encapsulates this idea of um the, the all of these possibilities and then the ways that they interact with each other and mix together i don't know if that answers your question i forgot what the question was but no, i yeah, got that, excited about okay. star alliance <laughs> <laughs> it's always okay to get excited about star alliance yes they, they're yeah, not mars but... in fact they're the opposites <laughs> They really are. They really are. 
but yeah, the the topic or the the question was like, what does what does science fantasy allow Keyforge to do? I think you answered that pretty directly with well, the the blunt answer that ends up actually working down the line, right, is it allows them to keep expanding the game and adding new houses and exploring mm-hmm. new things because they just say, well, the Crucible is so huge that right. yeah. that like we can never know it all. So anytime they bring mm. in a new house, like they don't have to retcon anything because the world we're inside of Keyforge is just so vast that the new house was there the whole time. We just right. found it right now. Yes. And then, you you know, so you look at something like Magic which is all sort of, you know, sort of in this general fantasy realm. And they've done, you know, some, you know, some kind of variations on that. There, you know, there's like a Greek mythology one kind of based and, you know, some other kind of variations. But if you were to take, you know, like Martians and put them into Magic the Gathering, that would feel super, super out of place, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or like The Walking Dead <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah. Or, right. or Warhammer 40K next year. <laughs> right. And I understand that they or actually are, are, are doing this now, which is so, <laughs> right, and right. I think people have opinions about this. But like Keyforge, right? It's already set up, right? Yeah. It, you it, could it, genuinely it, do that. And it, yeah. wouldn't, it wouldn't miss a stride. <laughs> no. Yeah. And uh, I, I will say that, you know, one of that strengths of like you were talking about the the planes, the different, you know, planes of being the lands all across Magic the Gathering. They've done very well with uh, characters and storylines and tying all of that together. Right. And I believe there's a recent set in um, essentially there, there, you know, Hogwarts, uh, Strixhaven, where it was all themed on, oh. on magical school, which is okay. all very cool. And I. I do dream. I do dream of of Keyforge going to those places, and and Daniel Lovett Clark, yeah. uh, one of the writers and kind of world builders for Keyforge, tweeted a long time ago. Um, he said, "Hey, just like know that the storytelling in Keyforge is only like barely getting started, right? We have a a little bit with Mass Mutation. Dark Tidings was really kind of a locale and a feel rather than than plot." But FF, FFG have tied events and story into big releases before. They did it with Netrunner. They did it, of course, with Arkham, just dripping with theme. Uh, so I'm I'm confident they they have the chops, and at some point we'll be we'll be diving into a bit more narrative. Oh, that's so exciting! Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's cool to think about what you know places they could go because we don't have any like you know like straight up like bearded wizards <laughs> like you know <laughs> that would be really cool. Um, I, I mean, it just, you know, who knows, who knows? They get throw yeah. anything at us. So. Yeah. And, uh, I will say for anybody who hasn't read the six pieces of short fiction by Nate French and Daniel Lovett Clark, that FFG uh, published around the game's launch, I'd recommend going to read those. Uh, there is one that gives the story behind Duma the martyr because she is Squire Duma in the story. And that's all I'll say. Uh, but uh, it was a story written around Duma the Martyr, and um, uh, I, I would I would be so sad if we didn't get uh, some some next form of Duma connected to the story later down the line in in Sanctum. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and okay, one more thought that like I've never had a place to say this, but Simon, you're the perfect person to ask this question. Say it. Are are the architects supervillains because they just keep stealing everybody's planet? And then just like hot gluing it to their giant planet in the center. Well, so that's the, we like what's going on. So we don't know. Like we have no sense of like what their motives might be. Right. Right. We know that they are taking 
civilizations and cultures from across the known universe or perhaps multiverse. We don't know for sure. And smashing them all together and they, they can't escape, but we don't know why they're doing this. Is it an experiment? Is it a, you know, is it a game? Is it some sort of test? Um, and so that would, that would, um, determine that is it is this is the crucible actually like a sanctuary for civilizations that were on the brink of destruction mm. you know are they safe is this a preserve have they taken the Saurian republic and the martian civilizations and put them here to preserve them because otherwise they would have gone extinct like we we don't know like and there's no really answer to that um and has anyone and it, even seen the architects before? Do they know? Right. Uh, it, yeah, there's per, per no the fiction so far. No, I think. Right. I mean, in the yeah. in the, I'm only partway through the novel, but there is some mention of the architects, so I don't know how far that gets um, in uh, the Cubit Zirconium. Um, but yeah, it, 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 they seem to be as mysterious as the Archons are. Right. There's this extra level of mystery uh, as the the architects. Right. Mm. Who who knows what they're doing? Which, which is good, right? <laughs> because it keeps it flexible, right? As soon as we dis- as soon as there's some decision that say, okay, the architects are doing this, now that locks everything in, right? Right. The right. longer they can keep it vague, the more flexibility that they have in order to add more things to the to the game world. Schrodinger's art- uh, architect. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this are is they something- inside the box. <laughs> Maybe it's just the deck building algorithm (laughs) too soon. (laughs) So this is something that like if, if Keyforge were, um, you know, a film franchise or a series of novels, this is the kind of thing that would be really, really frustrating because it would just feel like the creators were just sort of waving their hand and being like, well, we don't know. Like, what do you think? But for a game world, because it's something that people interact with um, and it's going to continue to grow over time, these sort of like blank spaces I think are actually really, really helpful um, to kind of leave things open-ended, especially for something like a, like a role-playing game, right? You allow, you give space for the players to make discoveries on their own. You know, a, you know, there could be a, a session of a group of people playing the Keyforge RPG out there who they get, they're getting to come up with this stuff. They're getting to discover this stuff and take ownership uh, of this world, which in a way that doesn't work for uh, other kinds of, more more structured narrative uh, media. So to yeah. summarize, the polar bear has yeah has to mean something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> touche, touche. <laughs> I feel like that was I thought that was maybe too niche, but clearly it landed. So I'm no, gonna, that, I'm gonna take quite, it. Yeah. I thought yeah. it might be lost on you guys. Oh <laughs> wow. Oh. But see, but, but see, that is the thing, right? Because they didn't know. They like the writers of Lost, like specifically said they didn't have a plan. And I think as you get into the later seasons, that becomes very, very evident that they didn't right. have a plan, um, right. which is really unsatisfying for serialized television uh, <laughs> and their future careers. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I completely agree. And, and there's another aspect of Keyforge which is intrinsic to the game itself and the world in which the game is part. Um, and that is Amber. So, yes. you know, f- for you, Simon, what are really the properties of Amber 
and how does its design help create the world and help keep that world in tandem with that game we love? Right. So I talk a, I talk a little bit about this in the article that I wrote, um, but uh, Amber exists again in this ambiguous space, right? It's not really defined. We know it's a substance. We know it's kind of golden in color sometimes, right? Sometimes it turns blue and sometimes it might turn other colors. Um, and, but, but, but it's, it's, it's deliberately described as mysterious, right? And that because they don't define what it is or, or limit its power anyway, that gives it flexibility to slot into a whole bunch of different genres, right? So because it's mysterious, right, it can be something scientifical, right? The logos robots are studying it. It's powering the Martian spaceships, but then also because it's mysterious, it, it's magical, right? The witches of the untamed are using it to power their spells and the demons of Dis are using it to capture emotions and then eat them somehow. Right. Um, any, any sort of definition or limitation on what Amber is would make one or the other side feel ridiculous. Um, so by keeping it vague and deliberately calling it mysterious, they give it flexibility and able to interact with all of the factions, which is important, right? Because then uh, each of the factions has a reason to be interacting with Amber, which as we know is the right, central right. resource of the game. Um, and I, and I, I mentioned this in the article, but I think that's just a brilliant part of the design where this game that is revolving around collecting this substance and then expanding the lore out and saying, okay, this substance is central to everything that happens in this world is so brilliant because um, it just reinforces itself, right? Oh, I understand why I need Amber in this game because I'm collecting it, right? And to, to win. So it makes sense why all these characters and creatures in this world would want to collect it. And it creates an immediate connection from the player into the game world. Yeah, something something you said there really resonated with me because I hadn't put words to it myself before, but each house having their reason they they interact with amber and because the you know amber itself is a bit like the architects in that we just know it's, yes. it's powerful right it's powerful it can power things it can capture emotions it can it can do any number of things really um from uh from like yeah be a logos battery to like with rise of the key raken the the little uh, uh fiction of why the key raken has arisen is because it was it was uh, absorbing amber at the bottom of the sea for tens of thousands of years. And so that's why it's so powerful is because it just sat on top of a giant pile of amber for all that time. And now it's super powered, you know, like it can, it can do anything and be, be kind of the instigator of, of any of, of like any narrative that, that needs yeah. it. Which, which sort of gives a, co- um, a cohesiveness to the world, right? Because then there's a single justification for any story that you want to tell in that world. Why is this happening? Amber, what is this happening? Well, Amber, you know, um, which if you had to come up with separate explanations for every single thing, because everything, every substance works in a different way, right? Then that starts to, the world starts to lose its cohesiveness or it, st- it starts to feel complicated and it starts to feel, mm. you know, a, you know, a little bit more, um, I don't know. You have to think a little bit harder, but this way they can make it do anything. Right. Um, so they can tell any kind of the story and it will still all feel connected and it will still all feel as part of the same world. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of our uh, Patreon, uh, Patreon members, uh, disciple V one uh, talked about when we were preparing for this episode, talked about uh, dark Amber 
um, mm-hmm. and was wondering about like uh, like what uh, might there be other types of amber because like right. we we know that dark amber caused mutations and it was the cause mm-hmm. for for mutants but like so there was in one kind of amber and like could there be could there be other kinds of amber could there be bright amber like who knows mm-hmm. I mean yeah I mean they can do yes they yes is the answer they can do whatever <laughs> they want um and to you know uh, yeah yes is the answer unless they explain the polar bear in which case <laughs> right. it right. has to remain a polar bear right. if they okay. say amber comes from the amber walrus and you know when the amber walrus eats uh, broccoli, then the amber comes out of its mouth, and that's where it comes from. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. Well, I wish you hadn't told me that because that's horrible. I feel like people would have other issues with that. <laughs> well, now now when we have a some sort of snow or mountain themed set, I oh. really need Untamed to have an amber walrus where its tusks are amber. Ooh. Like, how cool would that be? That would be very cool. Yeah. just white cold amber right yeah yeah oh so that leads to like another thing of when you leave it vague whatever the whatever the answer to that mystery is that the audience comes up with in their mind is always going to be 10 times better than anything you can come up with right so you leave it (laughs) vague you let them come up with their you know fan theories and then you just let them think that right and then they they feel invested right they're co-creating with you and they get buy-in so that's another thing that the ambiguity uh, amb- ambiguity allows. Yeah, and with like so the architects and, and Amber are ambiguous, right? But mm-hmm. of course the the entire point of of Keyforge we're forging keys to open vaults and I right. feel like we we might have even less information <laughs> on what architects find inside of vaults. Like what have I found inside of vaults? Like with all the vaults I've won going through three at Vault Tours. Well, like, well, Zach, like what treasures are there? Zach, have you ever been to a chain bound? I have been to a chain bound. And have you won a game at a chain bound? I have won a few games at a chain bound. What did bound. you get? Uh, you I, got, I got I got amber shards. You got an amber shard. Yeah. That's what's in the vaults. Oh. See? You 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 win the game, you open it up, and you get an amber shard. Ta-da. <laughs> so like so like they say, right, like the Archons are trying to open these vaults and like, but what's in each vault is different, right? So they they like sort of leave it open. So if you're opening a chain bound vault, right, you get an amber shard. If you go to a vault tour and you win one of those, you know, then you can get a t-shirt or something, right? That's what's in the vault. But then otherwise, you know, then they can expand from out, the, you know, if they need us, you know, uh, a story element, right? There's something critical in, in one particular vault, then they can do that, right? It's flexible, right? But it's also something that the players can participate in. You know, I can go yeah. to a vault tour, I can win games and I can get stuff. You know, that's the, 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 the game delivers on its promise. A side note, old Bruno runs a YouTube channel called Alpha Investments. You're, uh, Ed, I'm going to have to get you a stepladder if you want to punch up that high again. Let me. Uh... Sorry, I'm in a I'm in a bit of a, a bit of a sassy mood. Um, <laughs> you may have noticed. <laughs> so, so Simon, so Simon, how do the identity of the houses interact with known tropes, but also put a spin on them using that thing we all know and love called amber? 
Right. So I think the two best examples, uh, we've, we've already mentioned one, Brobnar, right? Which takes giants, so, which is a fantasy, very common fantasy uh, race, and goblins, same thing, and, and puts, uh, I, would, I would call it steampunk, put steampunk armaments on them, right? Because they've got lots of vents, they've got lots of pistons, right? Um, so it's taking this fantasy trope and giving it a science fiction-y twist with a specific genre, right? And then the other example I would draw attention to would be the shadows, right? You've got elves, right? Again, very common in lots of fantasy works. These ones are particular, you know, these are kind of the smaller trickster elves as opposed to elves that you find in Tolkien, right? These, the tall sort of, uh, you know, long flowing hair, living forever kind of elves. These are, no, this is different. These are, these are the small trickster elves, but these are cyberpunk elves, right? And we know that because they live in urban environments. There's, uh, you know, there's lots of pipes and uh, there's lots of neon, and they have these ways of, you know, they're stealing a lot, which gives this vibe of like, um, you know, sticking it to the man, like a like a cyberpunk hacker, right? Um, so, so elves, fantasy, but now we're twisting it and putting it into um, cyberpunk. So those are the two clearest examples, I think, because those are in, in my mind, are sort of right in the middle of the science fantasy spectrum, where the other houses sort of tend to lean further into one direction or the other. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. And I think for, for every house, there's just that, that they they did really well with that twist of, okay, how we let's take a trope that we're basing it on, like you mentioned, right? Like like uh, elves, okay. Th- well, even shadows, like thieving cyberpunk elves. I feel like, you know, shadows has gone maybe even more down their own path than, say, Brobnar. And even though Brobnar is, I love their identity, Um you know, is, is yeah, giants and goblins with, with cyberpunk. Um, and, uh, sanctum of course is, is, uh, is knights and, and kind of knights, knights Templar, that sort of thing. Um, but with spirits and a couple, a couple other, a couple other tweaks as well, but, uh, right. Oh, and like bizarre, there's like two motorcycles (laughs) in sanctum. I, I call this out in the, in the article, but like, it's it's this it, that was just so weird to me to find there's there's a motorcycle on uh, Horsemen of War and there's a motorcycle on Mighty Lance. That's right. It's like somebody in the Sanctum art design <laughs> thing is like a motorcycle fan and it's just like all right, we'll just right. throw these in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a spirit, an amber spirit cycle. So I I have to say while we're talking about specific factions, probably my favorite science fantasy thing in the game is the fairies. So this idea that there are these untamed wilds, right? There's all this nature and there's all these like wild beasts, but like also there are like these tiny little robots that live out there, like, and sort of have their own ecology um, and their own thing. This, this idea that maybe some inventor at some point invented these tiny little robots and now they've self-propagated and now live out in the middle of nowhere. Right. I love those fairies. So fun. I also love that imagination. That's very cool. (laughs) (laughs) um and you must have enjoyed the short story in uh tales of the crucible about the about the fairy oh which one was that the healing one set in the forest with (gasps) yes i did love that one corruption theme and yeah oh Mm -hmm. such a special story yeah 
and and man all all the houses have those interesting things to find right like right like dis dis the demons of dis are like have orbs and like bulbs of amber and ribbons that's the right? other thing is that like ribbons are somehow like a core the visual identifier of demons and Keyforge, and it works like you only notice it once you really start looking at the art right i think i talk about this I, I think I called them out specifically in the article because when you yeah. first, when at least when I first started seeing them, I was like, what are these things? Like, I've never seen anything like this. They're pink. They're black. They have spikes and like you said, tendrils and ribbons. And, and as uh, they are immediately identifiable, once you get to know them, you're like, oh yeah, absolutely. That's a demon. But there's no, I, I at least don't have any sort of precursor to like, sort of like, oh, this kind of, they're kind of borrowing from this. I don't know where they came up with this. And then you read in the lore and you find out they're actually like robots. They're like all cyborg robots. And you're like, that, that's just, that's just weird. So yes, call out to disc for being super strange and super cool. Uh, well, glory be to Mars and Simon. Thank you so much for uh, coming out onto the podcast today. We were yeah. just really excited to talk about, just the the world of Keyforge and dig uh, using your your expertise as someone who's written in this world uh, to really talk about Keyforge and and really get excited about science fantasy and all that means for Keyforge and all that it can mean with um uh with and like like have we said we were uh, FFG if anybody from FFG listens especially the writing team props to you for this world because. All of us were like, "Oh, that's you know, that's a that's a bit of a kitchen sink." And then we're like, "This is this kitchen sink has the best things in it. This is the <laughs> loveliest kitchen sink I've ever seen." So, <laughs> so yeah. So uh, thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, you, I know you do have a book uh, set in set in a science fantasy world, the doomed world of Milagro. So where can people find you and where, and uh, what, what is the, what is the, what is your, your pitch for the book in case people want to dive into more science fantasy? Great. Well, my pitch for the book is if you enjoy uh, the Keyforge lore, you will definitely enjoy the doomed world of Milagro. It's the same kind of mashup world. We've got pirates, robots, magic, giant creatures all smashed in to the same world. And there's even more beyond that. Um, so if that's, if that's your thing, if that's what you like, uh, you can go to simonfinchley.com. That's F I N C H L E Y.com. Uh, and that, that link will take you uh, to the front page and you can find my book on Amazon where it's available in ebook and paperback. Awesome. Well, uh, listener, thank you so much for jumping in and joining us as we talk about the weird and wonderful world of the Crucible uh, alongside author Simon Finchley talking about science fantasy. Simon Finchley, SF. It all just it all just makes sense. He was he was born he was born for it. He was born for it. Uh, and if you are enjoying Call of Discovery, please make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app of choice so that you can hear us as soon. As we're out every th- uh, every other Thursday, and if you're new to KeyForge, please visit the new player guide on Archon Arcana, the KeyForge wiki. Uh, we've got that linked below, and you can get started on your own unique journey into this wonderful game with all the sorts of resources you'll find there. If you're looking to support Call of Discovery monetarily, uh, please visit our Patreon linked below, and you can sign up to support us monthly there and enjoy rewards like our exclusive discourse where we get some things, uh, some ideas and questions for the show like we did today, as well as listening to Beyond Discovery, 
uh, our Patreon-only behind-the-scenes podcast where Ed and I get truly ridiculous. Let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows by interacting with us across all of social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or send us an email at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery?